Guys of a Certain Age is brought to you by no one. Absolutely no one, except these dudes walking down memory lane. Now let's head to the studio to see what they misremember next. Guys of a Certain Age, the podcast for geeks of all ages, but uh, especially those of us that are, are long in the tooth. <laughs> <laughs> so, or missing some or missing some that's right this is art oh, shirley i'm in the studio goodness. with okay i'll start over <laughs> no, i like that okay let's just keep it going let's just keep it going this is great this art is, shirley this is in gold. the studio with jay reed and joining us remotely off the grid i don't know if i want to if i want to be identified with this episode Oh, come on. Come on. It sounds like you may have crossed over. Okay. You are still healthy, aren't you? You got a little congestion. Oh, for man. Sure. Robbie yeah. Koblenz is with a us. Little, a little con- yeah. Robbie Koblenz out, out in the weathered, the weathered storm of Matheson recovering from COVID. Thanks, Las Vegas. I thought what happened in Vegas was supposed to stay in Vegas, but obviously <laughs> that's not the case. Yeah. COVID missed all those things up. Oh, what what a mess! What a mess! How are you guys doing? How's uh, how's your Thursday so far? Doing okay, but it sure feels like Friday to me. We've got one more day of this. Ah, huh? uh, unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Working for the weekend. That's right. Uh, or actually, I'm working the weekend. Oh, not okay. working Good for deal. it. Good deal. <laughs> Thank, thanks for that, lover boy. Thanks. Yeah, well, appreciate that. <laughs> so, what about you? You you said you're you're on the men, so you think you'll be out among the living uh, here shortly. Oh, who knows? It depends on whether my quarantine instructions actually make it out via Pony Express or whatnot, since I'm in I the middle you. of nowhere. But yeah, yeah, I should be back in. So, but uh, anyway, my wife this morning, and she was like, she was saying three or four weeks before you're supposed to come back. Is that okay. right? I tell you what, if I'm going to stay in quarantine outside anywhere, this is the perfect place to do it. Yeah, I've got gig Ethernet. Uh, I'm off the grid. You know, what more can I want? That's good. All right, well, let's take a look. Except, at except Uber, Uber Eats doesn't deliver to Matheson, I found oh, out. Oh, that's so, too bad. You know. Shocker. Yeah, that sucks. That's, Goob, Goober yeah. Eats. Hey, but the doing. pharmacy delivers. Hey, that's good. As long as you're in city limits. But I'm not. Oh, oh, you're out of luck. Too bad. <laughs> too bad. Shame you don't know anybody there. So yeah. let's, do, uh, let's do Geeks of the Week real quick. Uh, Jay, what do you have? Well, I have a kind of a follow-up. I think y'all have to help me remember if I, what I said last time, but I think it was a James Bond situation where there was art stolen and it shows up in like one of the, in the villain's house. Yeah. Does that ring a bell? Uh-huh. Okay. So I came across another uh, instance of that, but this time in the DC world, if you go back to the first Batman movie uh, with Jack Nicholson as the Joker, okay. the first Batman of the modernish age, um, as he's kind of prancing through, I guess, his home, there's a painting on the wall. Called, you know it as the Blue Boy. I, I, I saw the painter's name. I can't remember. But anyway, it's a very fancy, common painting that you see, the uh-huh. Blue Boy. Well, then in the movie Joker with um, um, his, his name is Joaquin Blake. Phoenix. That, that guy. Um, the same painting is on the wall oh, okay. in his house. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just one of those little... Yeah. Cameo Easter egg. But Nicholson's sort of Joker is actually in the museum. It, you're right. Yeah, but the same painting shows up in, so in both movies. Yeah. So that's a, a Easter egg for that, I guess. Yeah. Well, right. you know, in the clip on the on the Geek Facts whatever uh, Instagram that I took this off of, uh, it just shows the little clip and shows the painting. So have y'all seen that Joker, the Joaquin Phoenix Joker? The, uh, the movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I didn't mean the guy like walking around. <laughs> I, haven't seen, I haven't seen Joaquin walking. Joaquin, but, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I saw that movie. And I'm looking forward parts. to the next one because it's going to be a musical. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I, and, well, Lady Gaga's going to play Harley Quinn. But I didn't know that there was actually a musical. I'd forgotten that. I think we did discuss that. Either a musical or, or very highly a lot of musical numbers. It's still yeah. on HBO Max, right? I would uh, think so. I need to watch that then. Well, no, the second one hasn't come out yet. No, I mean the first one. The first one. I haven't seen have, the first yeah. one at all. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You yeah. should. So, yeah. And you've seen parts of it, Robbie? Seen parts of it, you know, and uh, it's got a lot of tie-ins to modern Batman, but uh, yeah, it's pretty quality movie. All I know, I'll, I'm sure the musical sequel will be horrible, and I will not watch it. So <laughs> that's, that's the way it goes. But there is a DC movie on the horizon that I think we need to go see. Right, the Flash. When does that come out? Should be soon. Flash is early June, June, yeah, 6th, I, June twelve, something like that. I, I think it's you know on the horizon. I don't think it's one of those that's still kind of off so far that you kind of forget about it. Right. It did got, a new trailer drop. I read somebody yeah, the new trailer that, dropped the uh, new day trailer before was, yesterday okay. as we record. Remember yesterday as we record. And um, uh, so yeah, well, it's really good. Well, it, actually, uh, Flash is going to release June sixteenth. But the um, this was going to be my geek. If I'm not stomping on anybody's toes with it. Uh, the initial reactions to the movie are starting to leak now. So the geek press who've seen uh, the finished cut and the reviews seem to be overwhelmingly positive. Yeah, that's As what in, I heard too. It's a great, it's a great superhero movie, not just a DC superhero mm -hmm. movie. So um, apparently Keaton steals the show as you would expect he would. And uh, this version of Supergirl that's Michael, is, not Buster, uh, by the way. <laughs> yeah that's right that's right and this version of supergirl is supposedly a, a really really nice incarnation and uh, so um the the one the one caveat i saw was that without uh, henry cavill in it um they they kind of redo several parts of man of steel and it's a little empty without superman appearing but uh, uh yeah otherwise yeah i think we uh we as guys need to uh, schedule a uh an outing I think so too. I think that's go. one we need to go back and, and see. Guardians of the Galaxy probably will that comes out May fifth. So this that may that may be out by the time this airs. Yeah. This airs. But that's one actually I don't know about Charles Wives, but Becky actually wants to see. Yeah. I have a feeling I'll be wifeless for wifeless. any any further uh superhero movies. <laughs> yeah. I think that may be the last one that she'll go to, but otherwise, but uh but yeah, the flash one we definitely need to put on the calendar. It does look good. Uh, I'm excited about it. Watched the new trailer the other day, which is kind of a strange thing. I mean, you've got these folks that that aren't going to be returning. Uh, what do we call it? Peter Gunn's DCU. It's interesting to see what they're going to do going forward. Well, I, mean, I was just going to say it was just amazing they were able to get Ezra Miller in for reshoots without any other legal incidents. Yeah, so uh, that may be the may be the most amazing thing of of the whole kit and caboodle. Here I am. Well, at least the, the chatter's kind of settled down on him. Yeah. I, mean, I think maybe he. I don't know for sure, but maybe he's kind of grown up a little and decided, I like this gig. Uh, not, someone who's not doing the gig anymore is Sigourney Weaver. She's announced that the ship has sailed as far as her ever playing Ripley again in any Aliens movie. Okay. Uh, they, you know, We hoped for a while that she would make an appearance, uh, there'd be another movie done. And she has said, no, that the movie that she'd hoped to make, which would have been the fifth in the Aliens movies, that one never came to fruition, and you know she figures there's a lot of younger actors and actresses that are are willing to take on those kind of roles, and she's had her she's done with her time in space. So I was disappointed to see that, but yeah, she's she says she's she's done with it. So so there we are with that. I guess I know she's in Avatar. You know, uh, understand she's in Avatar, and her characters CGI is, is all of them 
I think I think everybody is in, in this version of I don't think there are any humans in this one, but I'm not sure. I haven't seen that yet. I haven't seen it. Have is you it on streaming yet? Not yet. You can you can rent it, uh, but uh, yeah, it's not it's not anywhere yet. I guess I still need to. I'll, I'll take the time to watch the first one again. So when it does come out, you'll be all ready on one to of go. The Seventeen streaming services I currently watch. That's <laughs> right. I know. I'm Surely it'll be on one of them. Time to pare down a little bit. I got to find out what I'm still subscribed to. All right. Well, on the other half of this show, we're going to be talking to author Scott Tracy Griffin. Tracy is from Starville, and he is, and I love this, he is the Tarzan expert on call. He's been advisors for a lot of documentaries, movies, and he's written two great coffee table books on Tarzan, both uh, A Centennial Celebration, which uh, talked about him in the uh, in the book and literary uh, aspect, and then uh, Tarzan on Film, which looked at uh, the storied film career of Tarzan, I guess. You can have film, uh, yeah, series. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I will refrain from doing the Tarzan yell. Oh, I was actually going to try it. Go for it. You, <laughs> you can probably do it better than me. <laughs> I can't. That was Carol Burnett. <laughs> this has gone completely off the rails. We'll see you on the other side. And we're back. And I'm really excited to have this guest on with us today. Uh, I think, Jay, we've talked about uh, having Tracy on uh, several times before, Mm -hmm. and I'm glad it finally worked out where we could do this. Our guest today is Scott Tracy Griffin, and he's an author. And I I love this from his bio. He is a Tarzan expert on call. And uh, (laughs) do you have that on your business card? I think that's that's a great thing. Uh, <laughs> I do not. I do not. Um, yeah, that that was uh, from a, a time in my career when they were doing a lot of publicity and I was their guy. Yeah. Uh, over at uh, AMC. At B- AMC, uh, the television station, right? The yes, American, American Movie, Movie Classic. Classic. Movie Classics. That was a great source for, for seeing a lot of these old movies. But but Tracy is an author. And the way we met was, uh, was it 2013, 2012? You put out the book uh, Tarzan, the Centennial Celebration. Yes, uh, which 2012. Was a, Beautiful coffee table book. I mean, I, and I'm sorry I don't have it up here. I meant to. We've got some rain. I didn't want to take a chance on anything happening to it. To me, I can I describe it as a coffee table book that you don't want to put on the on the coffee table for risk of spilling coffee on it. But it's a beautiful book, and it chronicles the history of Tarzan through artwork by different artists. Like I said, just a fantastic book. And he was here in Starville signing copies of the book, and I think a mutual friend of ours let me know that was happening. And so I came up and got to meet uh, Tracy that, that time, uh, signed a copy of the the book for me. And then uh, he's also written the book Tarzan on Film, and that came out 2016. Is that right, Tracy? Yep. Okay. And uh, that takes a look at the history of Tarzan uh, on, in the movies. And uh, like I said, I think we all know uh, Johnny Weismuller. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of us may some know some of the other ones, but they were Tarzans way before that. And so it's it's just a it's a fascinating story. When I was researching it last night, I saw some Bollywood versions of Tarzan yeah, <laughs> available. No. Yeah, that's, yeah, all kind of bootleg Tarzan movies all over the yeah, world. And yeah, the Italian yeah. sword and sandal and everything else. Yeah, I think there was a Chinese version or a, some a Asian version of, of Tarzan. But but Tracy, how did you get involved with the world of Tarzan? I was a general? little kid who grew up there in Starkville. My dad was uh, Dr. J.E. Griffin, the optometrist, who used to have his office there on West Main. Okay. I believe there's a hair salon there now. It's over towards uh, the new city hall. Probably and, right. And, uh, you know, grew up going, you know, as, as kids do, sometimes dad has to pick you up or mom picks you up and drops you off at dad's office to spend the rest right. of your day. And I would walk up and down Main Street, go to the dime store. If you remember those, we had two dime stores there on Main Street and get mm-hmm. candy and uh, junk food and wandered into the bookstore one time. One day I was nine years old 
and I was just kind of walking around, looking around, and I saw the Neil Adams paperbacks, <laughs> yeah. the, the Tarzan paperbacks. With, the Valentine uh, the series. They, yes, the, they, they, yeah. they call them the Black Valentines and the Neil Adams. Yeah. There have been so many editions of the different Tarzan books that you, know, right. you usually identify them by the artist or the edition. Mm-hmm. And they were in an array there, just just a, a dozen Tarzan books. And I remember just standing there staring at them for the longest time and picking each one up and reading the the little blurbs on the back cover. And yeah. It was just a, a, a an epic decision on my part which one to read because the art was so fantastic. And and yeah. there were, you know, things like Tarzan and the Leopard Men, Tarzan and the Lion Men. And I really wanted to read those, but I thought I'd better start my journey with book number one, Tarzan of the Apes. Right. Which is the origin story. So I was nine years old when I read Tarzan of the Apes. And I remember sitting in my dad's office. Uh, we were waiting on him to finish up and, and asking my mom, you know, I was reading some of the big words like air, E-R-E. Uh-huh. Uh, what does this mean? Because the book was written in 1912. And there I was in 1975 trying to sort my way through it. So um, that was how I discovered it, Goris Bros and Tarzan, was through the novels at the Book Mart, which, of course, is still there on Main Street. And is I was there this morning. Yeah, run by Carolyn, the daughter of um, the lady that ran it when uh, I was a child. That's right. So these are new books when you're seeing them, right? They're like I said, 1975. So they, they yeah, I think it was you know Burroughs uh, started out in pulp magazines, uh, right? At Rice Burroughs, that's where Tarzan was launched, and then uh, that was 1912, 1914. The first hardback book came out. You know, it was a huge hit in the pulps. It was. You know, it's so the, the magazine sold out. They started serializing it to newspapers. Newspapers ran fiction in those days. They would have a fiction page. Uh-huh. And it just took off. And it took Burroughs a couple of years to get a book. As soon as he got a book, he started shopping that book around to movie studios, hired an agent to, to put a movie, first movie in 1918. And so when, uh, you know, the paperback revolution, as they called, happened after World War II, you know, pulp instead of pulps, it became cheap mass market paperbacks. Right. Which could reach tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of, of people, you know. And um, so that was, you know, the height of the paperback boom. All of our reading back then was the paperbacks. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, God bless her. Mrs. Brown had a large selection of, of science fiction and, and Tarzan and Doc Savage and Conan the Barbarian. Um, all in the same area. So, uh, you know, I yeah. was introduced to all of those characters. That's cool. My introduction to Tarzan uh, came from the Ron Ely series. It, Eli or Ely? I'm, I'm not for sure which Ely, one. right. Ely. But uh, that's where I first saw the character Tarzan. And I'm, I'm glad that's where I, I what, what I saw first, because you did get the intelligent, articulate, you know, ape man at that point, which was good. Although there were a lot of liberties taken with the story. But for me, that, that Neil Adams, Tarzan of the Apes first book, that's the first book I had. And, uh, you know, don't judge a book by the cover, but that's absolutely what, you know, brought me mm-hmm. into it. Neil Adams fan anyway. You know, his his artwork on that cover is just phenomenal. I still have that book. And uh, it was the Scholastic Book Club that, that was my gateway to it. So, you know, I bought up whatever they were offering at the time. But, oh, okay. Uh, I remember, and I think you and I have talked about this, Tracy. It was one of the first books that I really became immersed in reading. I mean, the storytelling of it was just was just you know great and fantastic in, in every sense of the word. Like my kids, I think uh, I credit Harry Potter for them being uh, avid readers. But for for me, in a lot of ways, it was the the works of Edgar Rice Burroughs. Yeah, yeah, he was really a launching pad for you know uh, generations of of young men, some women. Uh, uh-huh. Like Jane Goodall, she was a, a Burroughs reader. That's yeah. what launched her career. <laughs> he picked the wrong Jane, is what she always said. You know? Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I love that. Uh, 
But, uh, you know, that's what drew me in was the storytelling. And, and very quickly, I, you know, I read that little blurb of, of his bio that's in the books. And I was kind of sad because I saw he had died years before in 1950. Yeah. And I knew that there weren't going to be any more new books, but there yeah. were plenty of, of the current books to collect. Yeah. And uh, when I was 12, the, the Starkville Public Library, or actually probably a little earlier, 11, they got that huge Irwin Forge's biography of Edgar Rice Burroughs, right. the man who created Tarzan. Yes. These things like, you know, probably nine by 12 and yeah, three it's a inches huge thick. Book. It's about 900 pages. Very thorough. Erwin well, Porges was a professor of English out here at uh, one of the junior colleges. And the Burroughs family out in the San Fernando Valley, they gave him access to their files for 10 years. He, he and his wife spent 10 years going through their archives. And Burroughs saved everything. You know, he had yeah. all his correspondence, everything. And so this book, and you know, it has pages from his notebook where he would sketch out the, the creatures and the know, the fantastic creatures and the characters from his books. And he created, you know, imaginary languages, you know, total mm. world building wow. at a time, you know, far before, you know, the kind of world building we see today with Star Trek and Star Wars. So, you know, I kept checking that book out and my mom finally bought it for me. Yeah. I remember <laughs> the light. I was in, I was in there in the library checking out books and the librarian brought it out and said, Oh, this is you. This is for you. And my mom was like, well, that sort of, Spoiled your birthday present, which just handed me a book. But uh, <laughs> of course, it blew me away. I never would have yeah. imagined that that my mom and, would would see that and would mail order it. And uh, you're twelve at this point. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So very much addicted to Burroughs already. Yes, and okay. you know that that uh, that takes you through his whole creative process. So mm -hmm. there, you know, he and you know Tarzan was just uh, you know that's Burroughs' best known series and that's his most successful. But he wrote a series of eleven uh, books set on Mars, which he called the planet Barzoom. You know, he postulated based on the the theory back then that you know Mars had canals and intelligent life. So he created a um, race of races of people and monsters. Yeah. <laughs> Creatures set on Mars. So while you were reading, did you, because my sort of introduction to Tarzan was the movies on like Saturday afternoon, mm -hmm. so which would have been going, playing, you know, during that same period. Did, did you kind of have both going on? How did Actually, the play sitting in? down and watching a film, uh, you know, front to end came later, probably in high school. I would see him, you know, Tarzan the Ape Man on the late night movies. Right. I was aware of who Tarzan was. My brother, older brother, had that Tarzan lunchbox uh, <laughs> that came out with the with the Ronnie Lee series. Yeah. And you know, you've got Tarzan squaring off with a gorilla on one side and a uh, lion on the other. Okay. And so that was what you know drew me in. I think there was sort of a cultural osmosis. We all know who Tarzan is. And then there were a couple of Tarzan movies that stuck with me. I saw them when I was really little, like three or four. There's a scene in uh, Tarzan's Three Challenges where he's battling Woody Strode on those net and yes, yes. over these pits of boiling oil. That's so memorable. That's so that's that's uh, that's Jock Mahoney playing Tarzan at that point. Yes, and, uh, yes. That's and then that's, there was another scene yeah. uh, in Denny Miller's Tarzan movie, uh -huh. Tarzan the Ape Man, the, the 1959 remake, where the uh, safari party have been caught and they're put in a pit with an idol yeah. and they're being sacrificed the idol and they're they're trying to get out of the pit and the fires are burning and I remembered that that was you know both of those scenes were very yeah. scary as a little kid you know falling in that pit of oil hot oil fire there's a theme here yeah that's right right and and we lived out in the country so we got uh, we got three channels we got PBS CBS and uh, actually I think we got two we didn't get NBC Tarzan was on NBC at that time so my parents yeah. saw it. But uh, I, I couldn't get it. So yeah. 
I saw snippets of when I, it's funny, I would go over to my friend's house, you know, on Saturdays, you know, to play and stuff. And Tarzan would be on the TV, the, the syndicated version of the Ron Ely. I would yeah. want to watch Tarzan instead of playing. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. I saw snippets of Tarzan when I was young. I, that's probably how I sort of knew who he was. But uh, it wasn't until later, you know, and it's funny because I, I, I guess I'm probably more known for the, the films and the books because I've met so many of the actors and interviewed them and written in the movie magazines. Right. You know, when I moved to L.A., that's when I really became immersed in the films because we have a, a autograph shows out here or did right. you know, called the Hollywood Collector Show. And they'd have big ads. And I that's where I, you know, made contact, met, you know, people like Denny Miller, who's just, you know, in the, the movie I mentioned, uh, Gordon Scott was Tarzan in six movies. Mm -hmm. Brent was his Jane. Um, you know, so I started going to the autograph shows and meeting these people. And then that led to interviewing them and, and getting their interviews published. And that led to the book. So the, the, the whole immersion in film history really came after moving to California and seeing that, uh, you know, I love books. I, I, I was a bookworm. I grew up on books. But, uh, you know, film is really what captures the imagination today. Yeah. And that's yeah. where my career really, uh, you know, diverted into, you know, film historian was after moving to Los Angeles. What took you to uh, Los Angeles in the first place? Well, yeah, I graduated from Millsaps College down in Jackson. Uh, I uh -huh. went down there for five years. And not long after graduating, I just threw my stuff in my car and I came out here. Okay. Um, didn't have any family. I wanted to bring Edgar Rice Burroughs to a, a worldwide audience. That okay. was the plan. Um, so Burroughs, Burroughs was impetus for that. It wasn't that you got out there and, and, and got into Burroughs again. Yeah, I wanted to get into the film industry. Um, you know, I have my own stories or had my own stories that I wanted to see filmed and wanted to, uh, you know, get Burroughs films produced. And over the years, you know, I worked for the company that holds the rights for several years. You know, we came very close to getting not just Tarzan, but some other films made, but, uh -huh. uh, you know, it's a process, you know, you get so close to where you think something is going to be greenlit and then, yeah. uh, it falls through. Yeah. So we've had some near misses and hopefully, uh, we'll get something going there. So, like I said, some wonderful properties besides Tarzan that have never been, well, that's the, you know, the, the John Carter series. I mean, we came so close with that movie. I thought it was a, an excellent movie. It just was marketed poorly. I have a real special place for, for John Carter uh, because I guess because I only discovered him through the books, you know, so everything that I read was purely what Edgar Rice Burroughs, you know, had in mind. Now there were comics, you know, Marvel and DC. The movie, I thought they did a, you know, they obviously varied from the the source material somewhat, but I thought they produced a, a really good movie. Were you involved in that at all? No, I wasn't. Um, <clears throat> you know, that was, well, <laughs> there's a, there is a story uh, behind it that, um, you know, I, I haven't really probably shared before. So if you guys want access to an exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> when I moved out here to give you a little backstory and I, I started writing about Edgar Rice Burroughs in the movie magazines, anything I could write or, and uh, even submitting things to fanzines and, and prozines and things like that. You know, I, I never went, I went by and I took pictures of the office of Edgar Rice Burroughs, established in 1927 by the author, run by his family at that time. And, uh, but I didn't go knock on their door. I thought that's yeah. a place of business. You know, I sent them a couple of query letters about, uh, you know, possibly adapting something. But at that time, they were only optioning to major studios. So yeah. I'm sure my letters went into the round camp, round five. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I had written something, and Edgar Rice Burroughs' grandson called me up on the phone. Wow. And said, oh, I read this thing you wrote I, I, about my grandfather. I really love it. Oh, uh, we had a mutual friend he had gotten my number from, and I was yeah. really blown away. He said, Thank oh, you. come on down to the office. I want to give you the tour and, um, you know, show you. 
So I went down there and of course we just hit it off. Uh, I was, you know, just in the early stages of my creative career. I was working, um, as a, um, business consultant, you know, mm-hmm. getting a, um, management consultant a firm where we were consulting with fortune 500 companies on best practices, which of course was a, you know, would later hold me in very good stead in terms of the business world. Right. But, you know, I was moonlighting, writing these magazine articles and stuff. And so I went in and we, we struck it off. You know, we had a great friendship and he's really the one that launched my career in doing the, uh, the documentaries and so forth. Yeah. And, yeah. And would, they would call him up and he wouldn't want to be in the documentary. So he'd say, Hey, I've, I've got a guy, you know, he knows, you know, enough about this, this, uh, you know, my grandfather's work that you could talk to him. So he really launched my career, his friendship. And so he called me up. We would occasionally go out with with Hollywood people. And he called me up and he said, you know, Paramount is interested in John Carter. And and I'm meeting with uh, the two executive producers, uh, Jim Jackson, Sean Daniels. They were responsible for the Mummy franchise. Oh, yeah. Like, I want you to come help me sell this. And I said, uh, sure. You know, I, you know, and, and um, my girlfriend, Lisa Wither and I, we met Danton. You know, he, he was a, a big uh, friend of hers and everything. So we met Danton and we sat down with these executives and we sold him on John Carter. Oh, this is the greatest thing. You've got to make this movie. And they went back to Sherry Lansing and and Paramount picked it up. Right. Right. And right. Uh, Paramount, you, you can see online, there's uh, footage from the Kerry Conran version. Kerry Conran and his brother had been tapped to. Uh, basically be the the director writer director producers of this they did some test footage and then sky captain in the world of tomorrow came out and did not perform yeah so the conrons were out paramount was out but disney this had sparked disney's interest disney had previously had this movie so disney uh picked it up and that's where uh you know you know history was made after a century of people trying to put john carter on the screen even going back to animated efforts in the yeah. in the uh, 1930s this film was finally put on screen. So I did not have anything to do with the Disney version, but I was at the very first pitch meeting with Danton Burroughs. Wow. We that's very cool. Paramount on it. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just a fun night. You know, Danton had a favorite steakhouse there in Tarzana where he would meet, mm-hmm. and, you know, the service was wonderful. It was just, you know, one of those magical nights where, you know, we were in our element. We were, Danton and I were talking about how great Burroughs was and, and John Carter had never had a global audience and it was time. And, and, uh, you know, we were just all in sync. And like I said, uh, you know, who knew that that what that would lead to? Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, finally they got that movie made at another studio. Yeah. I really think a lot of Burroughs work would work well as a limited series. I think you might could could dive into some of his storytelling, as you said, some of his world building that he did. You know, if it's not John Carter, maybe it's Carson of Venus. Yeah. You know, Burroughs has has, you know, he's conquered every format. Yeah. Radio came along. They had a Tarzan radio show that was a big hit, uh, syndicated nationwide. Um, you know, and in other countries, they had their own Tarzan radio shows. Australia, Argentina, they mm-hmm. hired local actors. Uh, Broadway stage. Tarzan's been on Broadway twice in 1921 yeah. and again in 2006, 2007. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. The 1921 show. It had live lions on the stage. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Haven't been able to determine if these lions had, you know, a, uh, a wired noose around their leg to keep them from yeah. leaping into the audience, wow. but it was quite the spectacle. No kidding. That's awesome. I think the streaming series is, is, would be ideal for Burroughs because you have a little more, you know, you have eight or 10 hours to unpack the story. Right. These novels, what, you know, we grew up reading as paperback novels began as, as serialized pulp stories. So they're right. episodic, they're cliffhangers. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Um, you know, most chapters uh, end in a cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. And that's why you keep reading. You've got and the book itself often will, you know, the book itself, especially the John Carter stuff. Yeah. You know, he and he was a natural, not not merely a storyteller, but a a salesman and a marketer. That's what and, I was going to you know, that's what I was going to bring up, too, is that is that he did this for the money unapologetically. I mean, he came up with great yes. stories, but he he was very savvy in trying to figure out how could I make a buck off of this? Because when he did it. When he in the, he, a little bit later in life, you know, maybe not as late as I am, <laughs> but forties or something or, or whatever, and had a family to feed, and so he's in order to. Yeah, pay the well, nineteen eleven, he was thirty six years old. Yeah, okay, so and uh, had two children at home, had tried yeah. and uh, you know failed at a lot of professions. I think mm -hmm. he listed seventeen: cowboy, gold miner, yeah. uh, cavalryman, door to door salesman, patent medicine salesman, right, policeman. You know, he had done all of these things and was unhappy and sort of felt disenfranchised in all of them. But all through it, you know, he was telling his his children and his nieces and nephews before, you know, these bedtime stories. Right. You know, so he was just a natural. And, of course, that's where you leave the cliffhanger. Well, kids, you yeah. have to wait till tomorrow night to get the next installment. That's right. Yeah. And to make sure that, in you know, once they got to be books and, and, and uh, episodic stories, that the reader came back and bought the next thing. Right. Right. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> and that's why I think, you know, I think that's what why Tarzan of the Apes is so brilliant. Yes, he wrote the first novel, uh, A Princess of Mars, submitted or, or uh, you know, half of it uh, at the time. Uh -huh. It was called Un um, Egypt Thoris Martian Princess, submitted it. And the uh, the magazine said, hey, this is pretty good. We'll, you know, send us the other half and maybe we'll publish it. Well, he finished it on spec, sent it to them. Uh, they bought it. And the editor said, well, let's do something in the Ivanhoe vein about knights in old England. So he wrote uh, The Outlaw of Torn, immersed himself in research of that mm -hmm. period, the medieval period, wrote The Outlaw of Torn, and the editor turned it down. Wow. So he's one for two. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I think, you know, with Tarzan, that was his chance to really prove what he could do. Yeah. You know, primarily to himself. Yeah. I think yeah. to the world at large, but to himself. And, and so he threw everything he had into that novel. And it was more of a pure creative experience. You know, Tarzan became such a hit. That the editor immediately said, "Okay, I want a sequel to Mars, and I want a sequel to Tarzan." Yeah. So that's when it became a commercial venture. After three novels, he realized the financial potential. So he lined those up and quit his day job and and became a full time writer. Uh, you know, and all the trappings that ensued. He moved the family to San Diego to winter in San Diego and and write wrote uh, it was four hundred fifty thousand words the next Good year. Dream. Wow. Published like six, five or six pulp stories, you know, in a year, and so. After that, you're right. It became became uh, you know a big business for him. Yeah, a way to feed his family and support his family. So um, I'm happy for his you know that his imagination remained undimmed and his you know that he was so prolific. Nearly 80 novels, uh, you know, various wow. short stories. So depending on how you count the short stories, which have sometimes been compiled or or recompiled into, into collections, approximately 80 novels is what I say. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, and he was both very savvy marketer and businessman and a tremendous, you know, creative talent. And, and he wrote right up until the time he died, didn't he? He, in the late, early, late 1930s, early 1940s, well, around 1940, he had married his second wife and they went to Hawaii. Okay. And uh, Ray Palmer, uh, the pulp editor, said, I'll buy anything you can produce. So he had sort of this second creative you know, surge. You know, I told him 1913, 1914, he writes almost half a million words. He gets to Hawaii and he starts writing novellas. So okay. He wrote four Martian novellas that became a novel, four Venus novellas that became a novel. 
he wrote four Pellucidar novellas, and these are his various worlds. Yeah. So he had this second big surge of creativity, and his wife leaves him, and he, his son, his, his, he gets depressed, so his son goes to Hawaii to kind of cheer him up and, and convince Dad he needs to come back to the States. You know, this is 1941, uh, for, so he is uh, 66 years old at the time. And they're out playing paddle tennis one morning, and they see uh, bombs going off and, and Japanese zeros in the air, wow. and it's Pearl Harbor. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so they're standing there on the paddle tennis court watching Pearl Harbor unfold. And Burroughs was very patriotic, a, a super patriot, loved America, loved our way of life, you know, loved capitalism. It, that's what had, had allowed him to build an empire. And um, so he immediately, you know, tried to volunteer for service, was too old. So he became the oldest war correspondent in the Pacific. Hmm. So he was on a, a ship in the South Pacific, uh, you know, writing dispatches and so forth. And that really sort of interrupted his career, and, it, and it, it took a toll on his health. He had a couple of heart attacks. If you've ever been down, you know, to the battleship in Mobile and climbed around on it, you can imagine an yeah, iron ship yeah. in the South Pacific when it's oh my gosh, degrees yeah. and 90% humidity. Uh, he had a couple of heart attacks on the ship, mild heart attacks, and that really took a toll on his health. He wrote a few later things. He wrote uh, Tarzan the Foreign Legion, which is Tarzan fighting Japanese in the, on the island of Sumatra. Yeah. Uh, Tarzan gets stranded on Sumatra with some Americans and Dutch and, and other people, and they're, they're engaged in guerrilla warfare against the, the Japanese. But when he came back, he, he tried to start a Tarzan novel that he didn't finish that uh, was later finished by Joe Lansdale, Tarzan the Lost Adventure. But uh, 1945 to 1950, when he died, he really didn't write. He just wanted to be a grandpa at that. Okay. okay. Just enjoy life. So his last, uh, last, you know, big novel was Tarzan and the Foreign Legion. Okay. You mentioned several things in there, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, you forget about that series. You forget about, you know, because there's just so much stuff that he did. I mean, the Westerns and all that. Yeah, oh. he wrote four Westerns, two historical yeah. novels, the, the yeah. I, Outlaw of Torn, and then I Am a Barbarian, mm -hmm. set in ancient Rome. And, uh, you know, he when he was a kid, he went to military school and prep schools and so forth, and they taught Greek and Latin. And I think that's that's what made him such a great storyteller is the mythic structure. Yeah. Now, you had to read that the ancient epics uh, in your Greek class or your Latin class. You know, now we, we call it, you know, Joseph Campbell, the hero's journey. And, right. Uh, you know, they, they, we've really sort of dissected and analyzed mm -hmm. what made those stories work, even going back hundreds or a couple of millennia. Yeah, but he really internalized that, and I think that's what uh, you know. He knew what it takes to make a mythic hero, and Tarzan is certainly, you know, a mythic hero who can stand alongside someone like Hercules. Other than Tarzan, and maybe it's not even Tarzan. What's your What's your favorite Burroughs character, our favorite world that that he's got? Well, I always say that Tarzan is my favorite character, but Tarzan is my favorite world. Yeah, you know, I love the world of Mars. And, um, you know, John Carter's the, only the hero in five of the book. That's the one I keep thinking would make a great limited series because it's not tied into one particular hero. So, right. The world yeah. of Barzoom is the focal point. Yeah. And um, so that's what, uh, you know, is really the, the drawing card for that series. Mm -hmm. He wrote seven novels set in the Hollow Earth uh, called the Pellucidar novels. And that's, you know, he postulated that Hollow Earth was still populated with cavemen and dinosaurs, uh -huh. strange races and creatures. Uh, even had a crossover with Tarzan going to Pellucidar yep, and, and squaring right. off against the dinosaurs and the the, the uh, reptile men and things that inhabited Pellucidar. Uh, four novels set on Venus, similar to uh, 
Mars, but instead of uh, this dying desert planet, it was this lush jungle planet. Yeah. You know, the other series besides the the Tarzan and the Barzum I really love is the uh, Moon Trilogy, uh-huh. which was three tales that were collected as, as one book set on, again, a hollow Earth inside the moon. And these uh, American spacefarers, I, I guess the term astronaut was not in vogue, but they decide to go to Barzoom. We make contact with Barzoom, the world of Mars, and they build a spaceship and they're going and they get caught in the moon's gravity and sucked in through a crater. And there's this interior world in the moon. And uh, so that's just, to me, a very beautiful, lovely, evocative world. Mm-hmm. Uh, interior of the moon because there's no sunlight and you see there's this sort of ethereal quality to the world. And, um, you know, the men escape. Uh, they, they, one of them, the hero, uh, Julian, falls in love with a mar- with a moon princess and they escape and bring her back to earth but the moon men they leave one of their scientists he's sort of a rogue renegade mad scientist and he builds uh you know a fleet of ships and the moon men come after them and conquer earth so earth sort of reverts reverts to a feudal state and so that's, that's you know, again Burroughs patriotism coming in and this was actually yeah, written as an, an anti-communist uh novel about wow, earth you know, America had been conquered by communists, so he rewrote it. And instead of they were communists, but they were communists from the moon. <laughs> kind of reminds you of the Nazis communist, on the moon. Communists. <laughs> yeah, communists, communists from the moon conquer the yeah. earth, and, and the, the brave, intrepid Americans have to beat them back. And, and Oh, my gosh. Tell us what's next for you, Tracy. What what have you got coming up? Well, you know, we just got Burroughs a star on the Palm Springs Walk of the Stars. Right. Uh, he lived there with his wife for about a year. We ran a GoFundMe campaign. We raised $15,000 to install this star, to see to its maintenance. Uh, it's similar to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, but it's it's uh, people who had an impact on, uh, you know, Palm Springs, who lived there, who had an impact on the culture. Bros was there for about a year, wrote a Tarzan novel um, and some other short stories there. So we ran that campaign. That took us almost 18 months, but we got there. We did it in honor of the Bros family, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren. Um, <laughs> So uh, that was just a tremendous time. And so I'm kind of catching my breath from that. You know, one thing yeah. I'd like to do is have a, you know, we have two Burroughs conventions that travel around the country every year uh, in different locations. They, I've, I've hosted, uh, uh, been instrumental in hosting seven of them wow. out here wow. in Tarzana. That's uh, out in the San Fernando Valley. That was Ed Grice Burroughs Ranch. He moved out to California, bought a ranch with his Tarzan money, named it Tarzana, and then it became a town. That's crazy. So, I didn't so realize that. Yeah, the town. Yes, after. yes. Tarzana, yeah. California, very evocative little town. And and um, so we have, you know, we've been hosting these conventions since the night 1960, 61. Uh, so for 80 years, we've been hosting these bros conventions. I'd love to bring an Edgar Rice bros convention to the Golden Triangle. Yeah, that'd be great. So, and I have a hook for it. I have a, a, a an angle that I think would bring people but that's probably a few years away, but that's percolating in my mind is, is a, an Edgar Rice Burroughs convention in uh, the Starkville West Point Columbus area. Well, you got two volunteers sitting here. Right? Yeah. The- I, I wanted to ask one question. Um, I, I sort of came into this late and uh, I was telling Art not long ago, about a year or so ago, I finally, you know, I'd seen a lot of the movies and, but finally I listened to the audiobook of the original Tarzan. The uh-huh. Man. And mm-hmm. so I realized then that, a lot, just like a lot of things uh, that are adapted, there's so much interesting in that book that I've never seen portrayed in a movie. Now, granted, I haven't seen all the old movies, but yes, from what you know about books and movies, is there one or two movies or series that that best reflect 
the book? And if not, is there one in the, you know, in the hopper coming? <laughs> it's the works. You know, that's the great lament of the Burroughs fans is Burroughs has never been done justice on the screen. We've seen glimpses of his genius. Uh, the John Carter movie, there were scenes that were spot on among the green men and the green men hatchery, but it really diverted from the novels. Uh, every Tarzan movie, even those that start with with true intentions, seemed to take a turn. And, and you know, one reason for, for decades was Johnny Weissmuller was the juggernaut in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, MGM Burst did eight silent films, and they were all allegedly adapted from the novels with varying degrees of fidelity. I think The Son of Tarzan, 1920, probably comes the closest. Uh, Tarzan of the Apes with Elmo Lincoln. That's, you know, fairly accurate to the novel with the limited technology they had at hand. It, it right, only right. runs about an hour. It actually had another hour subplot set in England that was not from the novel, but that has been lost. Uh, oh, the, wow. Part of that movie that remains is really the jungle stuff and, and the good stuff, fortunately. Yeah. So the silence were supposedly adapted from novels, eight silent films. And Burroughs gets so fed up, he would get it as advance. But, you know, Hollywood counting was the thing back then. There was no back end on these films. He was always promised royalties and profit sharing and this and that and the other. And he wouldn't get it. So when MGM mm-hmm. comes along, the sound era, they say, he says, you know what? You can have the character. You can take the character of Tarzan, leave the books alone, leave my characters alone, leave my storylines alone. And MGM, of course, was the grandest studio of the era, had the biggest budgets and the, the best stars and everything. They discovered Johnny Weissmuller, Olympic swimmer with five gold medals. They discover Maureen O'Sullivan. They cast them. And these movies become, you know, as big or bigger than the books. Yeah. And um, so the whole Johnny Weissmuller thing drove sort of our creative approach to those movies for 40-something years till the late 1960s. It wasn't until, you know, Sime Weintraub and and the Ron Ely Tarzan series and Mike Henry and, and so forth that we sort of started to get the intelligent Tarzan from the books. Yeah. Uh, another one I would recommend is, is Greystoke. The first half, the jungle. Have you seen Greystoke? I've seen it. It's been yeah. a minute, but yeah. But it's the first half. The, the first half. half. The okay. second half is, is, is fine, but it's not at all tied to the novel. Okay. Right. Yeah. It's entirely original. And what happened is Robert Town, you know, the, the screenwriter who wrote Chinatown was Oscar nominated for three movies in a row. Uh, he sat down and he basically tried to adapt the novel to the knowledge that we have now. For example, lions in the jungle became leopards. The the gorilla that Tarzan battles becomes a huge mandrill. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The apes were sort of these oversized chimps. So uh, that's one that is is rounded down to what we know of Africa. It doesn't have the really the heroic stature. That the novel has, but it's it follows the plot line fairly yeah. well. And and you know the Disney novel, the one that came out, uh, I mean the Disney movie in 1999, the 2016, The Legend of Tarzan with Alexander Skarsgård and Margot Robbie, they yeah. all have flashes of Burroughs. You know they have elements of Burroughs, and, uh-huh. and they're fun uh-huh. movies. You know people ask me, you know which movie uh, is my favorite, I, or which Tarzan? You know I like them all. They all offer something different. They're 53 they all bring something different. Films, yeah, 53 TV series. Yeah, 53. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or 52, depending on whether you count a TV movie, uh, you know, for the epic adventures, uh, uh-huh. you know, does that count? <laughs> because it was re- it's, it's released now on YouTube as two. It was filmed as sort of two installments of the show and they cobbled it together for the pilot, you know, two hour pilot. But, right. Uh, so I think in my book, I don't count it. I have 52 films and yeah. seven TV series. The true adaptation is still out there to be done. Yes. You know, we Burroughs fans, we guys who grew up in his writing feel like he has not been done yet been done justice in his creative and his story. And we're still waiting, you know. Okay. And I might mention there have been uh, six uh, other films 
or, or eight other films that uh, were adapted from his, his novels. And, and we're talking authorized, of course. Uh, when I say 52, we're not talking about the Bollywood films you mentioned, yeah. <laughs> um, the Italian sort of sword and sandal Tarzan films and, and the bootlegs uh, that were done without the family's uh, consent. You know, there was The Land That Time Forgot, The People That Time Forgot, and at the yeah. score that we call the Amicus Trilogy that came out in the 70s, 1975, 76, 77. John Carter... There was a serial called Jungle Girl that, again, was sort of Burroughs in name only uh, about a jungle heroine. Uh, the Lad and the Lion and The Oakdale Affair, those are two that are, are lost silent films. So his other stuff has been adapted. It just, you know, has not been a, a breakout hit yet. Yeah, well, we're Doug McClure be without uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs other than... That's right. That's <laughs> right. You know, Stuart Whitman was cast in that role initially. Oh, really? AIP was the distributor here in the States, and they said, we need a bigger star. And so, so got we Doug feel McClure. like Doug McClure is bankable. Okay. So Stuart Whitman was replaced, and, and as you said, Doug got four movies out of it. Yeah. Because they did uh, Warlords of Atlantis, which is very Burroughsian. It's not a Burroughs novel, yeah. but that was sort of the fourth uh, movie in the cycle. They're fun. They're, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're sort of cheesy B-movies with the rubber monsters, but uh, yeah. they're a lot of fun. Oh. Land That Time Forgot, you know, you talk about that's that's a fairly close to the novel adaptation for, yeah. you know, what, what I feel is kind of its weakness is that, you know, you spend half of the movie inside a submarine. Yeah, that's right. You discover this lost land of dinosaurs, but 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 uh, it's a World War One. you know, have the, the, the German U-boat that is taking on some British prisoners and they're going back and forth fighting for control of the submarine and and they sail into this lost land. And I would have like seen more of the lost land when I was a kid. But, yeah, it just takes forever yeah. before you get to the to the good stuff. Yes. Well, Tracy, we really appreciate you taking the time. And I'm, I'm so glad to get you on here. And we'd like to have you back sometime because, I mean, I think we could probably go a whole lot more. I mean, just maybe character specific. Congratulations on the, uh, the star. I know that was uh, a, a labor of love for you for a while. Thank and, you. Uh, and thank you as a, as a contributor, a donor. We'll hope to have you actually here maybe in person sometime if you're, if you're this way. Oh, I'd love to be back. It's been a lot of fun. Okay, great. Thanks. Well, that's going to do it for guys of a certain age for this episode. Uh, we'll be back with you next week. I have no idea what we're going to talk about next as week, usual. but that's as usual thing. Uh, we'll see you later and thanks again. <laughs>